The recent rise of violence in Clark County schools has everybody asking questions. Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? Last month, the largest teachers union in the Valley blamed restorative justice as part of the problem. Now, that's a policy that tries to stem the school-to-prison pipeline with alternatives to expulsion. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson sits down with CCSD police captain Ken Young, who has been with the district for 30 years. Captain Young talks about the challenges, the benefits, and controversy surrounding restorative justice for students, staff, and for the police force. It's Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. How long have you been with CCSD? I have been a little bit over 30 years. This is my final year. Seen a lot of changes. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, there have been a lot of shifts in recent years towards this conversation around restorative justice. When did you see that conversation come up? Well, for us, uh, the early 2000s, when we started naming it restorative justice, but we've been doing it for a long time. From the early 90s, when we went to uh, zero tolerance, you know, which was kind of like an open door to restorative justice for us. As we know, zero tolerance didn't work for anybody in the country. So we started doing alternatives to arrest in the early 2000s. I've been a part of those processes since they started here within the district. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what restorative justice is? So let, let me just give you a little scenario here. Say there's a parent. And they have kids in CCSD and they ask you, okay, so what is restorative justice? What does this mean for my kids? Well, when you look at restorative justice, when you look at the real basis of it, it's about restoring relationships, uh, it's restoring the trust, restoring the, the fact that, you know, the authority can assist and it's not always a bad thing. One of the things that we push our officers to do is to create relationships on the campuses. But what does it mean, say, if I, I have a kid? who is getting in trouble and I'm worried about what's going to happen to my kid with suspensions, expulsions, like punishment, what would that mean for my kid to be involved in restorative justice? Well, we have uh, resources that we provide for the kids. We have counseling. We have, uh, right now, we have social workers that are assigned to our department. We have officers that are trained in crisis management. So those areas, instead of us, uh, when a kid, like say, for instance, the kid starts acting out, in years past, we could make that a criminal act. Wow. And we could take a kid into the juvenile system because he was disturbing a class, because he was using profanity at a high level, disrupting the classrooms. Now we have other alternatives that says, okay, instead of putting you in the system, let's get you some help. Mm. So instead of making a clinical issue a criminal issue, now we've armed our officers with other resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we uh, we know that's important because restorative justice is really about acknowledging that both the offenders and the victims need healing. I know that it involves making sure that wrongs are righted, but also involves empathy for all parties involved. So can you think of any examples or anecdotes about a time when you've seen restorative justice in action? Sure. Here recently, we had a kid that was having some problems at home. Mom and dad were going through a very 
uh, interesting breakup. The kid started acting out. He became very violent. Uh, he was very belligerent. In years past, that kid would have ended up in the juvenile justice system. By the officers recognizing that this was something more than, you know, this kid being a criminal, they were able to restore him to counseling, get, refer him to counseling. So here's a process, you know, where the kid would have normally ended up as a statistic. Mm. Now the kid is getting help and the kid is back on track. His grades are up. His uh, behavior is much better in classroom now. He's a much more pleasant person to be around because he was able to get some counseling. Mm -hmm. That's the basis of restorative justice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you mentioned statistics, I mean, I, I know that we've in Clark County have had some conversations around racial disparities in expulsions and suspensions within the school district. For example, I, I was reading that leading up to the pandemic, we saw that Black students made up 43% of police referrals and representing 14% of the student body. How is restorative justice helping with those statistics? At the end of the year, we would normally look at how many kids were referred to the juvenile justice system. So in years past, I'd say, let's say, uh, I'll give you a number of 6,000 kids were referred to the juvenile justice system. Those numbers have been cut in half. And with that, we've done well over 2,500 referrals to places like the Harbor and other social services that have been able to provide help to these families. So yeah, we're still getting the calls, not as high in volume, but we're still getting those calls. And instead of these kids now becoming criminals, they're getting help. So when we look at it, you know, that we are making some strides in that area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And is this all part of a program I had read about or heard about the school justice partnership? Is this the restorative justice program that's being used by CCSD police department? Yeah. So in 2018, we heard about a very interesting program that was going on in Georgia, took a deep dive, looked at it, and we were able to adapt what they were doing there in Georgia here in Clark County. And for us, like I said, the numbers have gone down dramatically. And actually, when you're changing the mindset of officers for, for lack of better terms, you know, officers are used to going in, we hook book and get back on the streets. Now the officers have been given another alternative where they can sit down with the kid and, and really kind of dissect what's going on with this kid. Does this kid need to go to juvenile justice? Does he need a citation to court? Does he need to be arrested? And now the officers have an equation they can look at and say, no, this kid needs to be referred to some counseling. This kid needs to be referred to some medical services, other services other than juvenile. So it keeps the kid out of the system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so is SJP, because I also heard that there was like a state law that came about in 2019. Is that connected to SJP? Yes. How, how are they related? So we were all we were able to lobby to get this on as an actual recognized program by the state. Uh, so they mandated that these programs were to start taking place, restorative justice taking place in our school district. Um, we've heard some pretty interesting stories in the news lately. I feel like interesting is an understatement. But last month, the president of the CCEA, Marie Nysis, she represents about 18,000 educators. And she came out with some like pretty tough words about restorative justice. I'm not sure if you'd heard her her quote about it in the news. I mean, she says that these laws passed in 2019 prevent um, school districts from expelling a student for violent behavior. She calls the restorative justice program an unfunded law. She says that frontline educators and administrators have been handcuffed from taking action against 
violent behavior. I mean, is this accurate? What do you think? Well, it's definitely was unfunded. Uh, there was no big chunk of money that says, OK, we're going to create a restorative justice program. No, you know, administrators were asked to do this as a part of their current duties. Did it handcuff them? I don't think it handcuffed them. It just made it a little more stringent before they could just get rid of a kid. Before, you know, it's like if a kid acts up, a kid makes too much noise, a kid has these outbursts or they become a little violent, we can just automatically just take them to juvenile justice, uh, to our juvenile lockup facility. So now they've been asked to, you know, keep them in place. Let's work it out. Let's figure out what's the root of this problem and try and get them some assistance. So it's added some different duties to the site administrators. But so this extra step, I think what a lot of onlookers are kind of curious about is during that time between when an incident occurs, whether it's like a horrific act of violence, like we've heard about in the news or a fight with another student, you know, there's a period of time before a, a plan, a restorative act, a justice plan can really take place in that moment. Like what tools do teachers and the police department have? I mean, does restorative justice allow for students who could be a danger to others to like, you know, stay in schools until a plan is created? What's that kind of in the moment step? So the kids that are dangerous, it did not take away the ability for us to refer those kids to the juvenile justice system. Okay. So you know, when you're talking about a kid that um, uses a weapon, a kid that brutally hurts another student or a staff member, it did not preclude us from taking those kids into the juvenile justice system. When you have the kid that has the average run of the mill fight that lasts 45 seconds, you know, so the way the program is set up now, says, okay, school, what can you do to help turn these kids around? They have some isolations within the school that said these kids can do the OnStar program and some other programs where they're isolated from mainstream, but still in school. The whole goal is to keep kids in school. Mm -hmm. Did you think that Marie Nice is kind of pointing fingers at the restorative justice program as a problem when it comes to violence in schools? I mean, is that a fair assessment? Like, can we blame restorative justice programs for increasing the violence in schools? I don't think it increased the violence. I mean, that's her assessment. Um, mm -hmm. Even from the law enforcement side, you know, it was a tough pill to swallow to tell officers that, hey, normally, you know, you put these kids in handcuffs, give them a citation or take them to juvenile justice and get back on duty. So that was, you know, it was a hardship to turn around. We were talking about changing a complete culture this is now I've got to sit down and really spend some time and figure out how can we assist this kid before we put them into the system. So it wasn't just educators. It's also law enforcement. We do understand their frustration. We, we get it. We definitely get it. And on top of all the things that they have to do with the primary duty of educating, now they have to also figure out how to help discipline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think what you just said about turning the ship around for officers and shifting that culture is so, so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, like I said, you know, the officers are normally trained, you know, you come in, you see the problem and you eliminate it. Part of that elimination was always taking kids through juvenile lockup or giving them a citation and, you know, kicking them off campus. So now you say you take an officer and says, okay, now you've got to spend at least 15 or 20 more minutes figuring out, you know, what alternatives, you know, can we do for this particular kid? So, they can cite, they can arrest, they can warn, and now we've added, you can refer. So we've added another tool to their toolkit. 
And getting used to that new tool was something that officers really had to work on. So the, I'll give you an example, for the first two years when we started the school, uh, school justice partnership, we had about maybe 200 referrals in those years. And then this year, currently, we have about 2,500. That's like a 10-time increase. Exactly. So the officers started to see the benefit that we can get this kid some help. Um, we hear stories of uh, kids that come back to the officer and say, hey, thanks for not taking me to juvie. Or the parents coming back say, hey, thank you for giving my son or daughter an opportunity to give them a chance. We as a family are getting some counseling. My son or daughter is getting some counseling now, so they're back on track. They're doing great. So you get those types of stories. Now, it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, we've mm -hmm. had some cases where we referred kids and it just did not work. So they would repeat their activities and they'd end up in juvenile court. So it doesn't work for everybody, but a large majority of the kids see benefit from the referral. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this training that you've been, you know, giving officers, getting involved in helping them, shifting their thinking for you, is this maybe part of a bigger question, like shifting our thinking about the role that police can play in a community? No, I think it goes back to how things started back, you know, as I say, back in the day, I remember as a young person that I got in trouble and I had an officer that he had an opportunity. If he wanted to take me to juvenile, he could have. But instead, he sat down and talked to me and took me home and then had a meeting with myself and my parents. I'll never forget that. Hmm. So I, I can say that I'm, you know, a recipient of what we now know as restorative justice. You know, that officer would you know, routinely check on me, check on my grades. Uh, would come by and uh, speak to my parents to make sure that I was doing what I'm supposed to do. So we have officers because they have the relationship with kids. They see them every day. Um, they can check and see how a kid is doing physically. They can look academically to see how a kid is doing and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Sounds like that officer might have been part of the decision for you to become an officer yourself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If restorative justice is in your mind, not part of the problem here, how is restorative justice part of the solution? Well, for us, our department model is prevention before apprehension. So if kids start seeing that there are some alternatives, you know, the initial thing is like oh, kids are saying, oh, I'm not going to get in trouble. So let me act out some more. That's the initial process. So restorative justice doesn't happen overnight because it didn't, you know, we didn't get to this point where we are overnight. So it's a process. So when kids start seeing that, you know, you have adults that are willing to give you a chance and willing to help you, they start changing their thinking also. So it's everybody's thinking has to change. And it looks like, you know, and we've heard the stories of, oh, now you've gotten soft on discipline. Uh, you know, kids are not being punished anymore. We've heard all of that. We've heard mm -hmm. all of that. And we say the response to that is that we're giving alternatives. You know, we're giving kids something different, some another set of tools to put in their toolkit. Um, officers are working on de-escalation, on how to work with that. They're working on how to mediate issues. Some schools have started using the tribunal where what we call trial by peers, hmm. where a peer group of kids will come down and decide the fate of that particular student, whether it be after school assignments, whether it be their removal from other activities, whether it be sports or clubs, you know, so those thing, types of things are going on. Is restorative justice going to eradicate violence on campus? No. No, mm -hmm. but it's just another tool in our kit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
how do you think that Clark County's restorative justice program could improve? Like, and, and what role do you see the um, CCSD police department playing in that? The biggest thing is that it has to be more widely used. Um, hmm. We have certain schools that are using it that have just really caught on and, and get it. Uh, some that have not, some that are, you know, schools in their communities are a little resistant to it. They want to see the old school of, you know, immediate punishment. So it's, it's like I said, the ship has to, it has to make its turn. And it's not just law enforcement, it's administrators, it's parents and it's kids. So it's everybody has to buy into the process. Mm -hmm. And does the state need to fund more of this programming? Well, definitely funding would be great. You know, you would have more people that are, are running the programs outside of their role as teachers uh, and administrators. Like for us, we have our social workers that are assisting us with the efforts. Uh, if you could see some of that, you know, my, more widespread across the district, that would definitely assist. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think, yeah, one of the CCEA's uh, criticisms of that, that restorative justice was just not funded at the state level, you know, that a lot of teachers were scrambling to find the hours or the staff for training for intervention. Right. Uh, and, and we get it. We definitely get it. You know, they already have such a large job to do, you know, just educating our kids. And also now we've asked them to also to assist in the discipline or the uh, the lack of this, not lack of discipline, but helping to turn these kids' mindsets around as it relates to uh, violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's so unique to get to talk to you now with, you know, your 30 years of experience. You've seen all these shifts in the school district, and it feels like you're at this moment where there's this big change happening within the CCSD police department. And you're right there, you know, having seen everything that's happened over the last 30 years. I'm curious, where do you hope that it goes? Well, as a part of it, we would hope that, you know, our numbers continue to go down as it relates to, you know, referring kids to the juvenile justice system. I'm always a big proponent on pushing officers to, you know, uh, get involved with the kids' activities. So we have officers that are coaches. We have officers that are part of the kids' clubs, like the Black Student Union, things like that. So getting officers that are getting more involved in uh, the kids' activities versus just the enforcement side. We have officers that are in the classrooms now teaching. So that's exciting to me to see that the officers are doing those types of things. Um, officers are involved in community activities. So the kids get a chance to see them outside of the uniform and see them as a regular person. That strengthens the relationships when they see you know, that the officer, hey, he's actually, he or she is really just a cool, normal person. Um, for me, I'm a musician. So oh. when kids find out you know, what my accomplishments are in the world of music, it changes the relationship. I'm curious, what what kind of music do you make? That's another story. That's another uh, show. <laughs> Google me. <laughs> okay, we'll Google you. We'll Google you. This is just the first of many conversations we'll be having about justice and safety in schools. If you have thoughts, maybe you agree or disagree um, with anything that you've heard here today, leave us a voicemail. We're at 702-514-0719. Or shoot us an email at lasvegas at citycast.fm. Captain Ken Young, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And here's Layla with some news you should know about today. Hello, Vegas. First, the Golden Knights have fired head coach Pete DeBoer. After all, it's our first year not making the playoffs. No news on his replacement yet. 
Fans at the Lovers and Friends Festival this weekend had a scary moment when someone reported hearing gunfire, which caused a stampede of people trying to exit the venue. Three people were taken to the hospital with minor injuries. Thankfully, there was no actual shooter at the event. And finally, a happy ending for The Believer magazine. The New York Times reports that the original buyer, Paradise Media, has sold The Believer back to its original owner, McSweeney's, at a significant loss. Paradise CEO Ian Moe said that it was an easy decision once we got everything in order. And that's a wrap on CityCast Las Vegas for today. If this is a show you think your friends would love, tell them about it. You can also go and give us some stars and leave us a review. It really does mean a lot. Shout out to CR Bike Bike, whose review reads, Is it the absolutely slapping intro music? The topics that hit extra close to home for a Vegas local? In the words of that little girl from that one meme, why not both? Thank you, CR Bike Bike. Don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Hello, Vegas. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just sounded so funny to me. I don't know if that sounded funny to you, but I'll try that again.